Welcome to First Baptist Clarion's digital service. A couple of reminders as we get started today. Take a moment now, if you haven't already, to say hi in the comments section below. Maybe you will even take it a step further this week. Take a quick picture of yourself and those you're gathered with, your family, and share that also in the comment section. That way we'll be able to see each other's smiling faces and uh, remember our church. The interaction was fabulous last week, and I think that is a large reason why people felt so good about the experience we had last Sunday. So feel free to engage with one another all during the service. You can even say amen during the service. Since it's recorded, you don't have to worry about firing me up and me running on longer. Also, I want to give you a sincere thanks for your diligence in getting your offerings sent in. And just a reminder that you can still mail those in to the church's P.O. box or give online from our website at fbcclarion.com. My name is Kirk Kirkland, and this is the story, the hardest thing my family and I ever attempted. Uh, we were crazy enough to leave everything to move to Cincinnati to plant a church. My wife was nine months pregnant. We just had enough money to kind of pay the rent and survive and put food on the table. We only had just a few pieces of furniture. I remember we had a dining room table, a bed, and just somewhere to lay our, our child. We did not know one person who lived in the city. We didn't have a denomination. We didn't have a network behind us. We were very much on an island, but we were so compelled that we were um, following Jesus. And we advertised for our first service on uh, Easter of 2013, and 66 people from the city showed up on that very first day. I got counsel from another pastor who had made a similar journey, and he says, have you ever heard of North American Mission Board and support what you're doing of planting multiple churches? So we re-looked at what it meant to be to be a missionary. We realized that we didn't have to do it alone. And so we voted to plan another church and to join the Southern Baptist Convention. We said that, let's do this again. What we've seen God do, God can do it again in the suburbs. And so we committed to planning the second church. Now we're a part of a wider community and family, and we know that we're better together. Um, the training that we've received is the way that we plant churches. When you give to missions, we plant the next church, we go to the next town, we go to the next village. And when you give, lives are changed, plain and simple. The video you just watched about the Kirklands in Cincinnati that are planting a church there, is part of the Annie Armstrong Easter offering that we'll be continuing to take up. Remember, this offering goes to support NAM. That's the North American Mission Board. We see its effect right here in a, a neighboring state next to us. 100% of the offering we take up at Easter goes to support those types of missionaries that serve in North America. And so we'll be taking that offering up just so you can be preparing for that on Easter Sunday or with the giving, depending on how things go over the next couple of weeks.
Again, I want to give you a chance to prepare yourself for our time together in worship. We're going to take a moment to continue our reading of Mark together. Today we're reading from Mark's Gospel, the third chapter, starting with the 22nd verse, reading through the 35th verse. And the Bible says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he cast out demons. And he called them to him, and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies he, they utter. But whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but he is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they said to him, and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about as those who sat around him, he said, Here is my mother and my brother. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. Over the last couple of weeks, I heard plenty of discussion on what we as Christians are not supposed to be at this time in history. We're not to be afraid, we're not to be worried or anxious, and we're not so obviously not supposed to be selfish. And though those are true and right statements, it is a bit insufficient to simply say, we won't do these things, or I won't do these things. Because we don't live by not doing things. The lives we live are simply defined by the things we actually do. So what we need to consider, and what I hope to consider today, is how to replace the things in our lives that we don't want there. How to replace the things that the scriptures say we're not to do or to be. How to replace the things that don't shine our light brightly for our Father's glory. And how to replace this don't do things with the things we do want our lives to be defined by. How to take those bad things and replace them with the things that will bring the Father glory. Last Sunday, I discussed one of those Christian attributes that would make a wonderful replacement to the fear and worry of today. And that is simply gratitude. You can still access that service on YouTube by just searching for First Baptist Church Clarion or at fbcclarion.com, our church's website, and click on the sermon icon. Today, I'd like to take a couple of moments to mention three other Christian attributes 
that we could use as replacements to the negative attitudes that the circumstances of the world seem to be stirring up among people. Let me start with this verse. John chapter 15 verse 5. It says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. The land we live in seems to be barren, troubled, disaster, the economy's tanking, sickness, and it's just in a huge state of upheaval. It's a great time for Christians to be fruitful in a land of famine. From Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is a description of the fruit that the Spirit of God bears in the lives of the Jesus follower. They are characteristics of a single fruit. Take a watermelon, for example. It is round, green outside, red inside, juicy, has seeds, is soft and sweet. These are not separate fruits, but descriptives of a single fruit. So a Jesus follower should have all these characteristics, just like a watermelon is made up of all those individual characteristics. The Bible is always about context. The principles of Scripture teach us don't change. But the context we exercise those principles in do. And so we need to consider how to display the fruit of the Spirit at this time. Today I'm going to take the first three characteristics of a Jesus follower and to try in a very practical way to offer some ideas on how to flesh those out in the days in which we now live. First, love. One of the characteristics of a Jesus follower produced by the Holy Spirit in their life is love. Love for God and love for others. And so here's some practical acts of love for you and I to consider using at this time. One, continue. By that I mean continue being the church. Continue in our faith and continue assembling, assembling together as we are today even though this is not our preferred method. Continue to love God. The second thing to do as a practical act of love is contact. Phone calls, text, emails, cards, however you can think of making contact with other people shows them a great love. I don't know, be creative. Drive to someone's house, blow the horn, and just wave at them from inside your car. Something to let them know you're thinking about them. Something to make that contact. We do well, I think, contacting each other, and I want to continue to encourage you to continue that. But I want to challenge you to call others. Call your neighbors. One specific challenge I have for you this week is to call someone you've never called before. Someone that you've never made a phone call before, and just ask them how they're doing. Uh, let them know that you care about them. Uh, ask them if there's something they need from our church. This is a great time to share the love of God with others. Second thing you can do is have considerations of grace. I think this is a great loving act and very practical in our day. Be gracious to people because people are afraid and because they're afraid they're doing strange, silly, and irksome things. Be gracious to them. Remember this, 
Many of them have no hope beyond this world, and this world is a mess. Let us temper our reactions of disapproval with grace to people who don't have any answers outside themselves. The second consideration of grace we could give is to allow people to have their points of view and express it freely. With a world full of experts telling people everything that they need to know, maybe one of the most gracious acts of love we can do is to listen and just listen. This is a way that we can love people at this time in very real ways. The second description of the fruit is joy. Joy is another descriptive characteristic of the fruit produced by those connected to the living vine. Joy is much like gratitude in that it is something you will have to consciously look for. Joy will have to be mined, hunted for, and dug out much like someone digging for gold in a mountainside. A couple of things that I think you can do to find joy, to mine joy in your life. One, look at things from God's perspective. I pondered this for a long time as I was considering this sermon. What does it mean to look at things from His perspective? Well, first I realized from God's perspective, He's seeing His children. He's looking at us. 1 Peter 1, 7 says this, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith may be seen. James 1, 2-4 says, Consider it joy at the testing of your faith. One of the things we must realize at this time, uh, God's looking down on His children as we're going through a testing time. And to be quite honest with you, I'm joyous because I see many people, many of you, passing the test well. That you're enduring these times, serving others, that you have joy, peace, contentment in these times. And I'm grateful for what God's done in our lives to enable us to pass the test of this season. But not only is God looking at His children, from His perspective, He's also looking at the world. And I wonder if he sees it much like he did the people in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, This harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. I wonder as he looks at the world and sees people without answers, if he knows that this is a fruitful time, that this is a time of harvest. And I pray that many of us are out sharing the gospel, the hope of Jesus in a world that needs a lot of hope right now. But overall, as I ponder God and things from his perspective, and wonder about how he fused things, I remind myself of this, that he's involved and that he's active. As I wonder about what outcomes he's pursuing through these days, it brings me joy just to know that he has a plan and he's advancing that plan in accordance to his will, his good and perfect will. A second thing that you can do to mine joy in your life, 
Find someone to serve somehow. There is always joy in thinking of, caring for, and serving someone else. The simplest way to get joy. Let me repeat that. There is always joy in thinking of, caring for, and serving someone else. Maybe it's just the joy of not thinking about ourselves. Maybe it's just the joy of being able to bring joy to someone else's life. It's contagious. And that is a real way to mine joy in your own life. Third thing you can do to grow or mine joy in your life. Do things that impact eternity. This could be on a personal basis as you think about what could you do now that would impact your own eternity. Is this the time for you to do that Bible reading or that devotion you want to do? Invest in a relationship? What can you do that would impact you for the rest of your life and into eternity. This could be for someone else. This is the time to pray for someone or share the gospel with someone or in some other way do something that lasts forever. One of the good things about a crisis is it helps us to evaluate what truly has value. My encouragement as you look at these days and you're able to sense what really matters, what has real significant and even eternal value Invest yourself in those things, and you will find a joy that you have spent the time well. The third trait of a Jesus follower that we can display in this barren land is peace. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I want to first point out that there's two types of peace for us to consider. The first one is the peace that comes from the absence of war. That when the war is over, we have a declaration of peace. Colossians 1, starting with verse 19, talks about this type of peace. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself having made peace through the blood of his cross. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, again refers to this type of peace. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That Jesus is this mediator, this person who brings peace between God and man. Romans 5, chapter 1, also explains this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the most important peace there is. The peace that sets the war that we have with God aside. The peace agreement between us and God that is birthed in who Jesus Christ is. This is the peace that conquers all fear. And that it's peace between each of us and God individually. Surrender to Jesus is the way to sign this peace treaty. Without this peace, there is no way to bear any of the fruit of the Spirit that we've been talking about. If you want this peace, you can simply tell Jesus right now. Let him know, I believe in you. I surrender my life to you. I'm done fighting and rebelling against God. Jesus, 
please forgive me. And he will. The second type of peace comes from a sense of security. We live in a world that has lost this type of peace. All the things people have put their security in is now not so secure anymore. The lesson I gather from this is this, that the security in this world is at best an illusion and at worst a lie, tricking us to put our security something in something other than God, Jesus our Savior. So let me talk about two action steps to have greater security in your life. Especially this type of security, this, this the, the piece of security. First, study the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew's uh, Gospel, chapters 5 through 7. This is the sermon that Jesus delivered uh, to the people on the mountainside. And this is how that sermon ends. Listen to these words from 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So one of the things I would encourage you to do this week is to read the Sermon on the Mount and answer these two questions. As Jesus said, those who hear these words of mine and act upon them is the wise person. As you read it, first ask, what did Jesus say to do in the Sermon on the Mount? And then answer, how will I do what he said? By that way, you will be building your life on a secure foundation, and you will have peace knowing that you are following and relying on Christ and His instruction. This is a way for greater security in your life. The second practice you could, think you could do in your life to bring more peace by putting more of your security in God is to practice releasing your fears. We must realize that in the days in which we live, as we get all kind of information from all kind of sources, uh, by hearing it constantly, being bombarded by it in a lot of ways, that it's a natural thing for us to start to be anxious and worry and have some fear. Uh, we don't know what's happening. We're not sure what's going to happen over the next week or next month or how long things will be like this, like we don't want them. And so as you sense a, in yourself fear rising up or anxiety or worry, there's a way to release that to God and acknowledge that you're going to put your security in Him and therefore find peace for your life. It's a simple little prayer that goes kind of like this. This is what you would pray. God, even if blank happens. The blank is what you get to fill in. That, that thing that you think is the worst thing that could happen. Even if this worst thing happens, uh, you get to fill that blank in. So God, even if blank happens, you are still good. I will still love and trust you, and I know your grace is enough to get me through it. So by this, we're just releasing our fears, acknowledging that God is our security, and that no matter what happens, He's still good. We will remain faithful and continue to trust in Him, continue to serve Him, and look for Him to meet our needs. 
you may have to repeat this often as you guide your heart into peace by instructing it that its real security, the, the real eternal security, is found only in God, and nothing of this world will share that with us. So that just shares a list of the first three characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, which we all as Christians should have. And these serve as good replacements for, for the attitudes that this time in our life is, is trying to get us to be. This is a way for us to shine our light in this world so that the Lord will be glorified. You can go on to think about the rest of the fruits. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm sure you're very aware that these things are things that the world needs too. And so as we live in this world, let us apply the principles of Scripture to, to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in very real and tangible ways in this life. May God bless you and keep you until we see each other again. One quick word of follow-up before you sign off. One of the things that I mentioned for you to possibly do is to think about contacting someone you've never called before and seeing you, you can minister to them in some way. I'd like to challenge you to, in the comment section below, just put the initials of who you think the, that person might be, the person that God might lead you to, just to make a contact with, let them know that you care, uh, because you know they're suffering at this time too. I want to tell you this also, if you discover a real ministry need, please feel free to call me or Randy or the church and we'll stand behind you and help you minister to them any way we can. I think this is a great opportunity for us to reach out to those uh, that uh, we've never talked with before and spread the love of Jesus, much like this virus is spreading. Thank you.